we are beginning our Advent series on hope. Uh, before we get into that, though, I do want to talk about uh, this past week at Thanksgiving and just give a big shout out to you, church. What a huge celebration we had today together, right? Yeah, yeah, come on. That was good. I mean, it was big. Hey, it was, here's what happened. We sent out, we fed over 500 people that were working on Thanksgiving. We sent out that many to-go meals. Last year, we fed 250. This year, we fed over 500 people that were working on Thanksgiving. That's huge. I mean, it was like the loaves and the fishes. It was like biblical. It was like a biblical story. We're like, are we going to run out of food? And it just kept coming, and there was plenty. And, and that happened because you were used by the Lord. You were used by the Spirit to provide a tangible way to say, hey, we love you, and we care for you, and you're having to work on Thanksgiving, and so we just wanted to feed you. Uh, so thank you. You church for being for do for responding. I mean, you you responded. You you uh, you answered the call, and so I'm very thankful for that. We feasted together after we fed those over 500 with about 120 people here, and then the food that was left over, uh, Larry McBee came and got took it to the Union Mission and took down there, and they were so thankful to get all that extra food that we had, and so more people got to eat. So probably in total, we fed probably almost 800 people on Thanksgiving. So that's amazing. Hey, that is absolutely incredible. So I am, uh, I am absolutely overwhelmed by that. What are some words that you think about when you thought about Thanksgiving? I just the Thanksgiving that we shared. Might have you shared uh, uh, with your family on Thanksgiving? What's some words that kind of come to mind? What? Grateful. I'm glad you got a G because I got a bunch of G's too. What else? Togetherness. It's not a G, but we'll take it. Family. Yep. Love. Sleepy <laughs> for those people that got up and fried the turkeys. <laughs> Gratefulness, yep. Gravy, yes. <laughs> Giving, yep. Yeah, those are those are good words. Some of some of mine, mine were generous, giving, God honoring, good, gospel advancement, and giddy. So, uh, those are my G's for uh, for all my uh, thoughts about Thanksgiving. But I'm just thankful for that. I'm th- very thankful for you. I'm thankful for what. Uh, what happens, uh, what happened on Thanksgiving here. Let's jump into today. Historically, um, we've taken the four weeks leading up to Christmas and talked about uh, and preached an Advent series, and these will be the four things we talk about, hope and love and joy and peace. And and so uh, Advent was not really part of my upbringing when I was growing up in the Baptist church that I grew up in. We left things like Advent to the Presbyterians, and so uh, it was not something that we did <laughs> in the Baptist church. We just didn't even acknowledge it. So to even talk about it was something new whenever we came here. But I love the fact that we do this. It's become an annual and a really an integral part of our church calendar as we stop and pause no matter where we are and really preach through uh, the, the, these four Sundays uh, leading up to Christmas. And it's been really beneficial to our Refuge Fam Squad during this season. So today... If you haven't figured it out by now, we're, we're going to preach on hope today. So I'm going to, uh, uh, we'll, we'll jump into some text later today. Uh, we'll, we'll end up in 1 Samuel, some Old Testament text that we'll walk through and see the hope that, uh, that Jesus offers us. So what is hope? Webster says this, that hope is a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. That's what the definition that we see in the dictionary is, a, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So when we think about this definition of hope, this thinking of expectation or a desire for something to happen, um, 
what would that be and what would that stem from in a biblical sense? What is that hope of expect or feeling of expectation when we think about Scripture? What are some of those things that come to mind? It's not a test. It's just what comes to your mind. Say it again. Yeah, I mean, yeah, meeting the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. What else? The Messiah, the Deliverer. What else? Eternal life. Yeah. What else? What comes to mind when you think of expectation, a desire for something to happen? Promises? Salvation? Say it again. Salvation of friends and family, yeah, for sure. So we want people to know Jesus. We want, we expect Jesus to save people. We, we expect the Holy Spirit to move and, and to save people, that, that Jesus came for a reason to rescue sinners, right? And so we expect that to happen with people. Whenever we stand and proclaim the gospel on a regular basis here on Sundays, we expect the Holy Spirit to move and we expect the Holy Spirit to stir people's hearts and minds and affections toward Jesus. Not only here, but when you do that very same thing in and, and your life as you go and you share the gospel, you share your life with people, we expect the Holy Spirit to stir and to awaken people to the good news of the gospel. Um, and, and so as we've been preaching through Genesis in this last season, uh, or in this season right now, you know, we saw the creation story, and we saw where God created everything out of nothing, and how he formed the world, and all the things that were part of the world, and, and then we got to Genesis 3, which was the fall where man, Adam and Eve were deceived by our enemy, Satan, and how that sin came into the world, and, and the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that because of that, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And as Heath preached for us a couple of weeks ago, uh, he reminded us that Adam and Eve's hope was for their deliverer to come soon. They thought that it would be really soon that everything that had just been messed up would be put back together um, uh, really quickly. They hoped that it would be one of their offspring that would bring deliverance. But alas, the, the, the deliverer did not come as they expected. Or it didn't come as so quickly as they expected. And we saw how last week how rapidly mankind just devolved into that sin became so rampant in, in, that spread so quickly and really so fervently throughout the, the offspring of Adam and Eve. Remember Lamech? He compared his revenge that he would exact on a man who struck him to be 70 times that of Cain's revenge on Abel. I mean, so that 70 times, just, just a few, few people passing that, 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 that's how much sin had corrupted people during the time and how the people needed hope then. How we can look at that and go, my goodness, some hope needed to come into that situation. We needed hope to reverse the curse from Adam's sin. So where do you see our world needing hope today? Think about that. Where? Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. And what kind of answers are people getting today? When people look for hope today, what are they looking for today? We look for hope. Where do we find hope? Or what are we, where are people looking for hope today? In themselves? Wealth? Politicians? Say it again. 
Yeah, that's where we need to look for our hope, right? We need to look for our hope in Jesus. The answer, well, the question would be for us though today is, where are you looking for your hope? We can think about other people a lot, right? It's easy for us to think about what other people might be looking for. It's easy for us to kind of point a finger and go, well, they're looking for hope there. They're looking to try to find hope in something else. But really when it comes down to us and we have to look internally, where are we looking for our hope? Where are you looking for your hope? And so as this unfolding biblical narrative continued, each passing player in the story continued to derive the same answer to the same question. Hey, is this the one who would set things right again? As you read through the scripture, hey, is this the next one that's coming? Are they going to be the ones that set things right again? For example, I mean, would it be Moses? Everybody likes to point to Moses. So as Moses came onto the scene, would it be Moses that would finally be the deliverer that would come and set things right again? I mean, he was the one, if you remember, he, he, was, he was set aside and ended up growing up in Pharaoh's castle. And he was the one who watched God's people fall into the hands of the Egyptian leaders. And, and that he saw his people in, in un, uh, unmatched slave-type conditions. Uh, they were treated terribly. And so could hope finally be uh, found in Moses as he returned to his people to try to get Pharaoh to set his people free? And if you remember, as Moses came and said, hey, you, you need to let my people go and you need to set my people free, he even said, he said God is going to send some plagues on you uh, and, and we're going to see if that's going to change the Pharaoh's mind. Remember what some of those plagues were? Well, we're yeah, everybody thinks of frogs first, right? I, I did too. That was like the first one on my list. Frog. What else? Locusts. Yeah, what else? Yeah, the light was dark. Firstborn was going to die. What else? Yeah, I mean, you remember all these things, just a litany of things that, that came upon them that, that, still didn't turn the, that still didn't turn the Pharaoh's mind away from, from setting his people free. But finally, it was the angel of death that came over. And the scripture tells us that, that God told his people, he said, if you'll put the blood of a spotless lamb on the doorpost, the angel of death will what? pass over you, and he will move on to someone else. So that was a picture of the blood of Jesus that would protect us and cover us from the angel of death that was to come. And so was the ultimate thing, was it Moses who was finally going to be the deliverer? Was he the long-awaited one that they talked about in Genesis chapter 3? Was he the one that was finally going to come and set things right? We know the answer is not. As good a leader as Moses was and as good of, uh, as a follower of, of God that he was, a faithful guy who feared God, uh, you know, leading a rebellious group of people even out of the land of Egypt toward the promised land, uh, we know that he was not the one because in a moment of frustration, the scripture would end up telling us that he, he, he disobeyed God when God told him to do something. He, didn't, he did something his own way. And it was in this disobedience that God told Moses he would not enter the land that was promised to them. So even though Moses was one of the most noble men in history, it would not be Moses who would set things right again. Would it be David? We all like to point to David, right? David was a noble man. The scripture tells us if you read in your, actually I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel, Samuel chapter 17. We're going to read just a bit of that text today. I mean, David was a shepherd boy who heard uh, about this great Philistine who was, who was torturing God's people and he was, he was, at, he was uh, uh, re just really wreaking havoc with God's people. And he came to himself just to see who this giant was and, 
And, and King Saul thought that David was unable to face this giant, and he tried to put all this armor on David that was just too big for David. And, uh, and, and David said, I don't need any of those things. He said, I, I've been out with the sheep. And he said, I've done some things. He said, I've, 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 uh, if a tiger or a lion or a bear, oh my, had happened to take a lamb from the flock, uh, David would go after him, and he would fight him uh, with, with just the tools that he had been given. Uh, and David said, he said, I'll strike down this uncircumcised Philistine in the same way he has killed those wild animals that crossed him. And, and then David says this, the Lord who delivers me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so let, let's, let's read some of that over in chapter 17. Of, we'll pick up in verse 31. I was, I was going to read that whole long text, but it's really way too long for sake of time. We'll pick up in verse 31 of 1 Samuel 17 and, and read what it says. It says, when the words that David spoke were heard, they, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. He's talking about uh, the, the giant uh, and he says, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and he took a, he, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him. I mean, he didn't let the lamb go. He chased down the bear, which is crazy. Uh, I said, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. I like that. He's like, I will treat him just like I did that lion. I will strike him down, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. Verse 37, and David said, the Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, Lord be with you. God bless you in your ministry, basically. That's what, that's what he said. So 38, he said, Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a, clo with a coat of uh, uh, mail and delivered strap to his sword over his armor and, and, tried to, uh, excuse me, and tried in vain to go, for he had not tested him. Then David said to him, I cannot go with this, for I, I, have, I have not tested them. So David took them off. And he took a staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistines. He's like, I'm not taking this armor. I'm testing this armor. I got five stones, and I got a slingshot. God bless you in your ministry. <laughs> and the Philistine moved toward him and came near David with a shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he, had to, he disdained him, for he was but a youth ruddy and handsome in appearance. I've been described that way. And the, Philistine, <laughs> and the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David replied and said this, you come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of the hosts. Come on. 
the Lord God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistine this day to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that the earth may know that there is a God of Israel, and that all the assembly may know that the Lord God saves, not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Come on, we need to read that every day, right? When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle to line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine and with a, with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and, took and, and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed, and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. That's a good rhyme. When he saw he was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the ground from Shemarin as, uh, as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camps. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put, it, uh, but he put his armor in his tent. We'll stop reading right there. That's a great story. I love that story. But we know if you, go, if you know anything about David, you continue to read on through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, you'll see the plight of David on through there. And, and sometime David actually would become king of Israel. And, and he would have many victories as kings. And as you get into 2 Samuel, uh, the, uh, you'll see that the Lord would establish his covenant with David. And he said basically that the favor of the Lord would remain with David's people from that time going forward. So what the question would be, would, was David finally the one that was the long-awaited promised deliverer, the one who was to come? Was David the, finally the one? Unfortunately, we know the answer is no. 2 Samuel chapter 11 tells the story of David and Bathsheba. Israel was at war, and, and Bathsheba was bathing, and David called for her, and yada, yada, yada. Uh, she became pregnant. <laughs> I know we just yada, yada through that part, but... Uh, uh, David called Uriah, her husband, uh, to come from the battlefield and hoping he would know her in the biblical sense. And, uh, but Uriah was an honorable man, the scripture tells us, and he slept outside of her room. And so David was really like, how am I going to cover up this sin of mine? And so he sends Uriah back to the front lines and he has Uriah, basically he sends him up to basically be sacrificed because he sent him up to the front lines of the battle uh, to cover, and he did this to cover his own sin. So even though David was a great king, and the scripture tells us that David was a man after God's own heart, it would not be David that set things right again. And this saga continues all throughout the Old Testament. And then it continues into the New Testament. And you find that John the Baptist comes on the scene and, and, and people would ask him, who are you? Are you the Christ? Are you the deliverer? Are you the one who has finally come? Because they were waiting for this one to set things right that had gone wrong in Genesis chapter 3. Are you the one who has finally come to set us right? And, and John the baptizer said, no, I'm not the Christ. I, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He is the one who is coming. There is one who is coming. You need to make his way straight. You need to look for him. 
I, he said, I am unworthy to untie his, or his sandals. He says, I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He said, he's doing something different, not something that a man can do. He's going to do something very different. This king that is coming is going to be the one that will set you free. So it was not John the baptizer who would bring hope to this world. He was just simply pointing to the one who would bring hope in the world. And obviously we know that the hope is Jesus, right? This was not a a cliffhanger where you didn't know where I was going with this. We know that the hope of the world is Jesus. This question is, how does Jesus bring hope in the world? How does Jesus bring hope in the world? We, We preached through a series a few years ago called Jesus, True and Better. Remember that series? Jesus, the true and better, and and it focused on the fact that the stories that we read through the scriptures, the stories that we read in the Old Testament, uh, whether they were stories of sacrifice and stories of kings and stories of patriarchs, they all pointed to Jesus as the true and better fulfillment of whatever they happened to be. And just a side note here, I don't know what your background is or many of your backgrounds is growing up, but if um, uh, the, the, the Bible, is, you've got to remember that the Bible is not a story uh, or a book of moral stories for, told to you for you to do better and try harder. It's not a book of stories for you to try to emulate some Old Testament character, for you to try to be like a certain character. It's not a story to tell you to be like Moses or to be like David. That's not the purpose of this. The story, this whole story of the Bible is about a Savior King who is the only hope for his people. All those Old Testament stories pointed to the one who was to come. When we talked about Moses, we talked about David, we talked about all those people in the Old Testament, we talked about John the Baptist telling of the one who was to come, that that he was the only hero. If you find yourself trying to find yourself as the hero in the Scripture, you're not reading the Scripture properly. That Jesus is our only hero in the scriptures. So the question becomes, why is Jesus the hope of the world? I mean, we already talked about that sin had come into the world through Adam's disobedience. And throughout the Old Testament, we see great men and women who stood and led God's people, but none were sinless. None could reverse the curse. What would it take to reverse the curse? It would take perfect obedience. Say perfect obedience. It would take a perfect sacrifice. Say perfect sacrifice. It would take a perfect substitute. Say perfect substitute. It would take a perfect substitute in our place that faces some temptations but doesn't succumb to the temptations. Uh, you want to turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 4. Turn your Bibles over to the New Testament to Luke chapter 4. And this is really talking about the temptation of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, we'll pick up in verse 1. This is what the scripture says. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit to the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, what? It is written, a man should not live by bread alone. So he faced a temptation, and what did he do? 
Go to the scripture and says, no, the scripture says that man shall not live by bread alone. Verse five says, the devil took him up and showed him the kingdoms of the world. In a moment of time, he said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their, and their glory. It has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, I will, it will all be yours. And Jesus said to him, what? It is written, you shall, not, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He was tempted again, and he went straight back to the word of God. In verse 9, he says, and he took him to Jerusalem and sat him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands he will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, what? It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil ended, had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So what we see in this is it is Jesus resisting Satan's temptation. He becomes the second Adam by doing the opposite of the first Adam. You see this? Whenever he was tempted, whenever he was approached by our enemy, he did the very opposite of the first Adam. He passed the test. He's the one who passed the test. He was tempted in all these ways, yet he passed the test. Jesus, does, Jesus doesn't rely on his intuition. Jesus doesn't rely on his good sense. Jesus doesn't rely on what seems to be a good thing at the time. He declares the truth from trusting in his good father's word. That's what he does. Romans 5 explains this hope that we have in Jesus in this second Adam. And, and, and so this hope is not just a feeling or, or a desire for something to happen. But hope, whenever we talk about hope in a biblical sense, is a, a creator-declared assurance that things will come to pass. This is not some wishful thinking that some, something will come to pass, but a creator-declared assurance that things will come to pass. Uh, turn, if you turn with me in your Bibles, turn again to, um, to Romans chapter 5. Sorry, uh, I skipped some, uh, skipped some places. We'll come back to this text in a moment. Romans chapter five is where we are. Uh, this is what scripture says. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sins, so we're talking about Adam, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, okay? Death reigned from Adam in the Old Testament to Moses in the Old Testament, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, talking about Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. He said, if sin came in through one, then there is hope that is found in another. Okay? And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So one, uh, one man brought condemnation, one man brought justification. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by 
the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we like to say it here at Refuge. Where sin abounds, what? Grace much more abounds. Do it with me to remind yourself. Do this. Where sin abounds, what? Grace much more abounds. Come on, everybody. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Everybody's not doing it, Galena. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Come, there you go. Now we're all in it. Yeah, so that's just a reminder for us that where sin, no matter where it is, that the grace of God, that, that our hope that we have is found in the grace of God. So we are not a people without hope. Um, there's a song that says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I dare not trust anything else, but wholly lean, fully lean on Jesus' name, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. This is the hope, the assurance that we have today. I've lost my place. Here we go. Uh, here's what's good. By one man's disobedience, all have fallen under the curse of sin. Okay? We, we, we talked about that. We're in Genesis. By one man's disobedience, all have fallen under the curse of sin. But by one man's obedience, sin has fallen under the triumph of Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel, that no matter what happened in Adam, because we're all in Adam, but by one man's obedience, by one man's disobedience, we've all fallen under sin, but by one man's obedience, that sin has fallen under the triumph of Jesus. Here's what we know. Jesus is our double cure. He saves us from wrath. He makes us pure. What does it mean to have, for him to be our double cure? It means that he absorbs God's wrath, Okay. That's the thing about Jesus, that all of us by, by our sin deserve the wrath of God. And by him being the double cure, he absorbed that wrath for us so it never gets to us. That's the beauty of Jesus being our intermediary, by him going between us and God. He absorbed the wrath of God. And the scripture says, and then he gives us his righteousness. It's a double cure. He absorbs all the bad stuff, gives us all the good stuff. Absorbs gives, absorbs, gives. See that? That's the beauty of the gospel. Jesus does all that for us. He is our double cure. He is his sacrifice is sufficient. Uh, so biblical hope is found in the grace that is shown to people who do not deserve any favor at all. You know who the people are that don't deserve any favor at all? Everybody. I mean, none of us deserve any favor. I mean, none of us deserve the kindness of the Lord. None of us deserve what we are getting from God. None of us deserve the kindness of God towards us in Christ Jesus. But the good news of the gospel is, is that we all have that opportunity to receive that. The good news says that Jesus came to live like one of us. He came to give us hope. He came to give us the hope that is found uh, in, in Jesus. How does that happen? It happens by repenting of our sins, 
by putting our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus, Jesus and him alone, not in our own righteousness, but to say, I need to, I recognize that I have sinned against the holy God and my only hope is to be found in Jesus' righteousness and not of my own, believing the good news of the gospel that Jesus came and lived the life that none about it, nobody was able to live, that none of the people that we've talked about were able to hold up to. He came and lived that sinless life. He died on the cross. The scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And Jesus shed his blood on the cross to cover my sin and your sin debt. The scripture says when we put our faith and trust in him and his righteousness alone, that we will become children of the king. And my hope for us is that you find hope in this message today. That you find hope for the people that you love. Because the people that you love that need to hear this message, or you can share this good news of the message of the gospel with them. That you'll find hope in that it is Jesus who saves, not in your eloquence, not in your messaging, but you find hope in the one who has accomplished it on their behalf. That you find hope for those who are outside the household of faith. For you find hope for those who are lingering near, those who might just kind of be checking things out. Some of you are lingering near today. You've come to, to church on this, uh, this church gathering here on this Thanksgiving weekend, and you're lingering near. And it is our hope for you today is that you find hope in Jesus. He is not out to condemn you. You're condemned already. He is here to save you from your own condemnation from the condemnation that comes from our own sin. Jesus is not here to reap, heap all that on you. He is here to take that away from you. That is the beauty of the message of the gospel. It is our, I pray that you'll find hope today if you're looking for something to rescue you. His name is Jesus. You might say, well, pastor, that might be good for some people, but not for me. I'm quite the sinner. Well, yeah, you are. You're quite the center, but so am I, and so is everybody else here. We're all quite the sinners, but Jesus is quite the Savior. He's quite the Savior, and he is the one who is pursuing us and saying, I've done this for you. I'm the one who is giving you hope. Listen, I, you need to hear this. Whenever you think you can't, Jesus can When you, when you fail, Jesus didn't. When you stray, Jesus kept the course. Whenever you hide, Jesus seeks and finds you. Whenever you come home, Jesus runs to meet you. And that is good stuff. Your hope, our hope, is in Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Today, my encouragement to you is don't be deceived like the first Adam. Your hope is not in your own knowledge. Your hope is not in your own skills. Your hope is not in your own goodness. Your hope is not in your own way. Your hope, your creator declared assurance is found in the God who came and the God who saves. It is my hope today that you 
will surrender and follow Jesus today. Let me pray for us. God, we are people, we are a strong and stiff neck and proud people that like to go it our own way, figure it out our own way, do it our own way, and just come to you whenever we get in a really difficult situation. And so I, I just declare that for my own self today and for us, that we, we are those people. Will, will you help us to know that you are a God who saves and you are a God who gives hope and you are a God who comes to us and says, come to me with all those things, that you will give us rest, that we don't have to bear those burdens ourselves, but you will bear them for us. You are the burden bearer. Help us to be those people who not, don't depend on our own righteousness, but on your righteousness. God, I know without a doubt that someone is here today that is checking things out outside the household of faith, doesn't know what this blessed assurance is, lives in a state of turmoil, doesn't, can't lay their head on their pillow at night with a blessed assurance that they know that they are right with you, that they have found hope in you. And it is my hope today that you will give hope to someone by trusting in Jesus today. They'll trust in the finished work of Jesus. They will repent of their sins and believe the good news of the gospel today that today will be their day of salvation. Today will be the day that they finally quit running. Today will be the day that they finally say, I trust Jesus, I need Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for coming, for being our hope, for being our deliverer, for being our, the one who saves. So do that for us, for someone's good, for the fame of the name of Jesus. We pray it in his name, amen.